0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Last week I began with three movement quotes, um, our first Sunday of the year in January 1, which if you weren't here on that Sunday, you have, you have to wait 11 years before you get to attend church on a Sunday on January 1, just just saying, it's 11 years from now. Um, But I began with three movement quotes. Here they are. One, you can't really know where you're going until you know where you have been. Maya Angelou, an American prophet said that. Knowing where you're going is the first step to getting there. That's Ken Blanchard, leadership author and coach. And if you don't know where you're going, you might wind up someplace else. That's Yogi Berra. You can always count on Yogi. Um, And here's here's my quote for this week. There are no shortcuts to worthwhile worthwhile destinations. The destination dictates the journey. That one's mine. There are no shortcuts to worthwhile destinations. There may be no one more famous for taking a shortcut than Rosie Ruiz. Rosie Ruiz um, ran in the Boston Marathon in 1980, and at the time, she finished at the third fastest woman's time in the 84-year history, then 84-year 84, 84 history, the Boston Marathon. She completed, when she completed the race and crossed the finish line, she got all the accolades of normal marathon, especially the granddaddy marathon, Boston Marathon, could get the wreath, a wreath, a literal wreath, Uh, a a pretty expensive kind of medallion necklace and then all the interviews and all the accolades, but something felt off to the people covering the event. And it turns out eight days later that Rosie Ruiz had cheated. She had taken a shortcut. She in fact started the race, um, but about a mile in then she hit the subway And she took the subway to near the end of the race. And then she waited to a pack to come through what she thought was a good time. She jumps back in the race and she runs the last mile of the race and completes it. To her death in 2019, Rosie um, maintained that she had run that race. Never gave up the medallion. Her title was stripped from her because they showed through pictures that she had not done it. What? What possesses someone? How does that happen? Well, the year earlier, Rosie ran the New York Marathon, and she did the same thing. She did the same thing, didn't win the New York Marathon, wasn't the fastest time. She just completed, though, but she completed it in a time that qualified her for the Boston Marathon. Well, that so impressed her boss in her office that they insisted that she run the Boston, and they paid for her to do that and paid all her expenses. And the conjecture is Rosie just kind of got caught up in that kind of Lie that she never intended to jump in at the pack that would put her as the first woman to finish. She just had miscalculated, but she goes. She goes to her grave, um, not letting go of the fact that she believed that she had that she had finished the race. No, sh- there are no shortcuts to worthwhile destinations. Maybe she was after the respect of her office. Maybe she was out to be known. Who who knows what she was out for? But this scandal has followed her, and I've kept it alive more years, right? (laughs) This scandal has has followed her um, since 1980. Um, There are no shortcuts to worthwhile destinations. The destination dictates the journey. Around October of every year, I begin leaning into the next year. Lord, what, what do you have for us at Gateway? What do you have for me as an individual? What, where are you bringing us? And they're always kind of movement kind of things. I want us to be able to move, to grow, to develop as individuals, as a church. And, and in this particular, it was an October day if I recall, just uh, this this word kind of jumps into my spirit. I couldn't um, let go of it, and I saw, I wrote it on my glass board in my office. And it was a simple word. It was just lead, just lead. Well, I like reading leadership books, like a lot of people do, and so I just thought maybe it was a it was a default. It was a it was a Charlie default. So I I wasn't married to it yet. I just couldn't get away from it. So I. I wrote it up there. And then like I do a lot of times, I'll ask the Lord, well, what, what scripture or what passage or what story or what elements of scripture um, is gonna anchor this? Like I gotta have something to anchor into in your word because I gotta be able to teach it and dissect it and ingest it and be able to give it to you. And, and so that particular year, it was my, my sabbatical year, if you recall. And so I read the New Testament. Um, in my 40-day sabbatical, I read the New Testament, uh, you know, cover to cover, if you will. And, um, and it made such a, a, an impression on me of spending that kind of concentrated time in the Word that when I finished, I got home and I went, I want, to, I want to do that again. So I read the New Testament through again another 40 days. And then I didn't want to read the New Testament anymore. I thought, I wonder if I apply the same time frame to the Old Testament, what does that look like? Well, it looked like 140 days. And so, but 140 days later, I had completed the Old Testament. I didn't want to start all over again. And so we get into the fall. I said, well, I'm going, to read, I'm, going to read the, I'm going to read the Psalms. I always like going into the Psalms, read them. I don't always understand what I'm reading, right? Psalms, poems, you know, poetry gets lost on me. And so, but I started reading them again. And when I was really starting to anchor it, Lord, I need something. I need an anchoring scripture. If this truly is the word for us, I, I read that day, Psalm 78. Psalm 78 reads like a mini history lesson of Israel, of God's provision, God's deliverance. I won't read the whole thing to you because it is 72 verses, Psalm 78 is, but I'm gonna read you the last three, 70, 71, and 72. It says, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands, he led them. Now, I'd love to tell you it jumped off the page. It did jump off the page, but I had underlined it at some other prior reading. What really got my attention was three particular aspects of that passage. One was from the sheet pens, and the second was integrity of heart, and the third, skillful hands. And this becomes our anchoring passage for, our, for lead up 23. Wouldn't you agree that our world is in desperate need of leadership? Our world, right? You look what's going on in Eastern Europe. That's our world. You look at the rogue nations that are threatening freedom all across the world. We need leadership. What about our country? Our country needs leadership. Now, we might not be in a different, any worse of a place than we've been in any other time in history. It's just I'm paying more attention now, right? So we're in desperate need of some integrity and some skill in leadership, but even our own little town. You know, since I've lived here now 16 years or more, you know, I've, I've come, you might have recognized the, the term of the Franklin bubble or the Williamson County bubble right? What about our own little bubble? Isn't this just a nice little place to live? Well, of course it is. I've loved living here. I've loved raising my daughter here. But you know, this summer, our little town and the leadership of our town welcomed a drag queen show on the square. They acknowledged it. They endorsed it. And I'll be attending a, a, a meeting of the, of the council uh, are the aldermen's on Monday because they are threatening to cite and arrest a pastor who has led worship and prayed on the square. Now, I don't know all the particulars. I'll find out the particulars about that. I'll find out if he broke any particular kind of ordinances or the like. But the just, juxtaposition of those two things is staggering, isn't it? we living in a leadership vacuum John Maxwell, Christian leadership trailblazer, has said that leadership is influence. And if it has escaped you, or if you're new or a guest the gateway, the, this place has a very specific purpose. You can argue whether we do it well or not, that's, that, that would be for debate. But we have one particular pr- purpose, to develop the most spiritually influential people on the planet. But that's my desire for you in this place, that we become great spiritual leaders. Leadership is influence and we need more. To lead up is to lead in five different concentric circles, right? So this is kind of strange, but I'm asking you to lead up in circles. One, I I thought it was actually more clever than what you did. Um, First one is to lead ourselves. All leadership, um, people worth their salt will say that all leadership begins with self-leadership we have to recognize who we are, where we are, where, where we are in time, what's going on in our lives, what are our deficiencies, where, what is God trying to do in each of us? Because to sweep those things under the rug doesn't help anybody. So we have to lead ourselves. The second is that we need to lead in our family circle. Families, if, if you haven't noticed in the last decade or more, and it's, it's been more, but families are under siege. Well, why is that? Because the family becomes not just the bedrock of, of, of your life, it's a bedrock of a church's life, it becomes the bedrock of society, is family. Where do we need to lead up in your family? What, what you know, if you're raising kids, every two or three years there's new challenges, right? Because we hit different phases. We, we can't parent our kids the same way we did when they were three as when they're 13. Right? There's, all, all, there's constantly, I can't pastor this church the same way I pastored it 15 years ago, right? There's, there's new demands, there's new things that happen. We have to be able to grow and lead in our families. The third circle would be our church. Our church needs to lead up. I think it was, um, it was a, a famous mega pastor who said that the, the, church, uh, the church is the hope of the world, and its future rests in the hands of its leaders. So what does it mean for us to lead up, lead differently in our local church? The fourth circle would be in our community. How do, where are we to lead up in our community? Um, cities, not just in the United States, but in Western and Eastern Europe, architecture a lot of times revolved around the church. There would be a church At the square, I remember in in a particular town I spent a good bit of time with, and it's uh, in Romania, the name of the town is Tigermoresh, and it was a medium-sized town, probably the size of Franklin, um, where there was a church on either side of this long corridor in the middle of town. Orthodox on one side, non-Orthodox on the other side. And and, um, I spoke to the people who were, years ago when we were designing Gateway, I had a conversation with the people who designed downtown Disney. Okay? And so they told me that when they were designing downtown Disney, they were looking for a central gathering place that would anchor downtown Disney. And the conversation of the team was, well, the anchoring point of communities used to be a church. It's not anymore. So what will we anchor this with? And they anchored it with a movie theater. A movie theater. Our community needs leadership. Integrity of heart, skillful hands. And last um, is our workplaces, leading in our workplaces, that, that literally God wants to work where you work. And he wants to work with you where you work. Five circles that you look at that God is calling us into to step into at a, at a different level than where you are currently at. doesn't have to mean that you're a, in a bad level. It's for all of us to, to lead up. Um, uh, who would be the shyest introverts in the room? Raise your hand, shyest introverts in the room. Actually, you did that faster than the first service. I, thought, I said, well, why, I would expect a shy introvert not to break an arm, you know, to raising that. How about extroverts? You're, you're, you're a strong extrovert, raise your hand. See, they, they've already, they're up and down twice already to the introvert. Sociologists will say that even the shyest introverts among us will meet or interact with 10,000 people in our lifetime. 10,000 people. So that inherently means that there are 10,000 different opportunities that we have, right? Some of those are in passing, obviously, right? Some of them aren't. But there literally can be 10,000 different opportunities in our lifetime to interact and to lead other people. Your leadership matters. See if you recognize this movie line. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Any movie buffs? The line is from Clarence, and it's a wonderful life. My favorite Christmas movie that I watch every year, and if I don't watch it from, from start to finish, I will watch this scene when George Bailey is leaning over the rail of the bridge that he jumped off to earlier that night. And Clarence, his guarding angel, and boy, y'all have to go watch that movie. That is the funnest little dive yet. Jumps in to save George. And then when George is in the, 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 um, the drawbridge keeper's kind of hut there, he says this. He says, it would have been been better off for everyone if I had never been born. Now, I want you to notice that. He doesn't say, I would have been better off. He says, everyone would have been better off without me in their life. And then the rest of that story goes, he gets the opportunity to see what Bedford Falls would have looked like without him. And he ends back up at the same place where all this started, asking God for another chance. And this is where Clarence says, strange, isn't it? Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? And I believe this year for you, for me, and for our church, that God is calling us to fill up some more of those holes. If God can raise up a leader of a nation from a sheep pen and your pastor from a service station, then what's your story? Because your story may seem as insignificant as a sheep pen or a service station, but this seems to be God's recruiting ground for leadership. Three main hurdles to leading up. Over the next several weeks, I'll break these down. I'm gonna deal with the first one today, but um, I'll let you know all of them now. One, Satan opposes all God movement. Just write it down and blaze it in your heart, write it in a journal. Satan opposes all God movement. Every bit of it, he's gonna oppose it. Number two, the leaders with the most potential rarely realize it, rarely realize it. They get beat down by their own circumstance, talked into a corner by their own story, and they do not realize all of the potential God's wired into them. Now, if you know me, so I just have a little caveat here. I'm not a self-help person. I'm not a self-help pastor. This is not a TED Talk, right? This is, this is the most anti-self-help book that's ever been written, right? This book says you can't help yourself, all right? So I'm not talking about self-help. I'm not talking about some power inside of you. When I see people say they're, they're gathering around to pray for someone, my question generally is, who are you praying to, right? Generic prayers don't do anything. Right, and when I mean my generic, now I'm not talking about it. it's wording, I'm talking about who's addressed to, right? Good thoughts and pleasantries hasn't moved anybody, okay? So, so, so God does that. Right? But I'm talking about what God wants to do inside of all of us. Um, three, it's easier to go with the flow than lead a movement. Always been. Always been. But God's calling us to lead up. So one particular direction, one particular way in which to position ourselves for this is fasting. Um, I usually talk about fasting at the beginning of the year as we get into this 21-day fast, so give me a few minutes around fasting. Fasting is much more than putting away food. Uh, Fasting is to put aside a personal preference for a spiritual purpose. Fasting is putting aside a personal preference for a spiritual purpose. Historically, biblically, fasting produces breakthrough. can't explain it to you. I can't make it work metaphysically. I'm just telling you as I read scripture and in my own life, it just works. Uh, It is a a power move in a desperate situation. Fasting is a planting your feet spiritual move when all of your body wants to do is either hide or run away. Um, When you look through scripture, there's fasts of all different lengths and durations. Um, We have Moses, Jesus, and Elijah fasting 40 days. Never tackled that one. What I see though with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah is we see significant breakthrough. Daniel did a 21 day fast that produced a break- breakthrough. Esther does a three day fast, saves a nation. Um, Jehoshaphat calls the, we don't even know how long this fast was. It could have just been sun up to sundown and the nation is saved. Um, we, uh, the New Testament church, you'll, you'll find it, they'll just, they're just, they, they seem to be throwing away little lines after different segments of scripture that said that they, they fasted and then followed God's direction, all right? So um, we don't fast to get God's attention. We fast because we have his attention and he has our attention, okay? I'm not saying somehow when I you know, push back the burrito, somehow God goes, oh, Charlie's serious, but something happens, but something happens. The type of fast that we've led into through the years has been what has been known as the Daniel fast. It's connected to Daniel, the prophet, um, who is in, uh, in captivity. And it's actually linked when you read the first couple chapters, um, the way Nebuchadnezzar historically would rule was when Nebuchadnezzar would take over would, uh, a nation, uh, he would try to take the youngest and the best and the brightest, he'd take them into his own kind of training regiment and train them into the Babylonian ways, even changing their names to Babylonian names, okay And, and Daniel, it says Daniel and, and these and the three friends of his, they don't they don't really have a choice to push back on the training, but what they decide to do is that that they wouldn't be defined. They wouldn't be defined by Babylon. And what that looked like and what God gave them control over is what they ate. And they had they had at their disposal and, 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 quite frankly, expectation to eat everything that the king would provide for them. And they made the decision they would not defile themselves with that kind of food. And they only ate fruits, vegetables. It says they would have no choice drink, which means there would have been no alcohol, no wine, none of that stuff. He would just had water in that process, fruit, vegetables, nuts, that kind of of stuff. And they did that for two years. Two years. Anyone want to sign up for the two-year Daniel fast? Anybody want to do that? Two years. Some of you already do. I don't understand it, but you do it and it works for you. Um, uh, And so then, fast forward a number of years, and Daniel's in a desperate situation to hear from God. He's desperate. And in that, his mind goes back to This would be my recollection of it. His mind would go back to what they did for two years and said, well, I'm gonna do it again. So anybody over the years that told me, well, that doesn't seem much like a fast, I just say, it worked for Daniel. Worked for Daniel. The way the story reads is the angel comes and said, as soon as you began to pray, I was dispatched with the answer from heaven. And yet I was detained by the Prince of Persia for these 21 days. And at the 21 days when his fast was over, here comes the answer. I can tell you in my life that God has done some amazing breakthrough things after a 21-day fast. Gina and I, we, we were thinking this year is our 18th consecutive year. Annie's been involved with that. I pointed over here, but that's just because she sat there at 9 o'clock, so sorry. Um, uh, we've been doing 18 consecutive years, and the reason why, we, when we went to Plant Gateway Church, we said we're going to do something we've never done before, so we probably should do something we've never done before. And we were, it was on the 21st day, we were invited to lunch with um, a couple that had heard that we were going to plant Gateway. Now, by this time, we had built our budget of what, you know, you can't plant church with no money. You realize this? Um, takes, takes money. You can't run a church without money. Um, so on the way there, she said, uh, what are you going to ask them for? So forgive me for those who have been around all 18, 15 years and hear the story then. And I said, I don't, I, I'm afraid to ask them for anything. She said, well, are you afraid you're going to ask for too much? And I said, no, I'm afraid I'm going to ask for too little. That's how my faith had grown over the 21 days. And Dean and Kathy Myers, it's a name I would hope that you would remember, Dean and Kathy Myers, because they gave Gateway Church the first $50,000 to plant on that 21st day. And then we raised $300,000 in 90 days to plant Gateway Church. Is fasting a manipulating tool of God? No, God's got our attention. He thinks of us all the time, Psalm says. I can't can't tell you what it is about. I can tell you that things work and things change. Um, I know on a practical level, fasting creates space for God. So just on a practical level, think about how much time you think about eating. Who's already determined where you're going to lunch today after church, right? You've probably said, in our household, we have to settle that the night before, right? We, we, and it's just Gene and I, and we still have to settle it the night before uh, where you'll find us at Chewy's most often because it, I, I don't have to argue. I just, I'll go get hot chicken on my own and we get Chewies on Sunday. So you think about how much time you think about what you want to eat. And if you're eating at home prepare. Shopping for what you want to eat, preparing what you're going to eat, eating what you're going to eat, cleaning up after you're going to eat, right? That's a lot of time. What about the social side? How many, how many of your meetings and social settings is around food, right? There's a lot around food. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to meet? What are you going to talk about? There's also an emotional side of eating, right? On both sides. Some people hide eating. Some people cover uh, a, a depression with eating right? Um, the other the other side, other emotional side of, of eating is um, um, just the pure excitement over going to new places. Sometimes you just mention a certain restaurant and you get excited about going to that certain restaurant. And so you think about when, you, when, you, when you're changing the pattern in which you're going to eat for a period of time, it creates a lot of space. Um, here's a quote from Richard Foster, Richard Foster wrote a classic book called Celebration of Discipline in 1978. And this is what he said about fasting. In a culture where the landscape is dotted with shrines to the golden arches and an assortment of pizza temples, fasting seems out of place and out of step with the times. Now, he doesn't say that because he's speaking, well, right against fasting. He will just tell you the, the, the context in which we find ourselves in fasting. And for me, even at my age, burgers and pizza are their own food groups. And when you fast, count how many burger and pizza commercials? They are a lot, because Gene and I started already our fast, and we've already been counting. Um, But there is a stated reward in fasting, that there is a reward when you fast. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus will tell us this. Matthew 6 is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in his first public, concentrated sermon... Jesus talks about fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I find it interesting that Jesus in his first sermon, when he gets to this point, he highlights three Christian disciplines. I would say four because he's preaching, so I would say his word is important. But he talks about giving, praying, and then fasting. Fascinating that he would in his first sermon list three different ways in which we develop and grow spiritually. Giving, praying, fasting. When giving and fasting seem to deplete us, right? These seem to be depleting actions, but he lists them as filling actions. It's it's amazing. It's worth diving into because we don't, I don't think you can see giving, uh, naturally see giving that way and see fasting that way. So what are the rewards of fasting? There's been a, I mentioned to you a, a tangible thing but I consider those residual, residual rewards of fasting, the answered prayers that God has had, the miracles that's happened that wouldn't uh, otherwise maybe have happened. Um, here are three that I believe are for all of us that's more general. The first is intimacy, intimacy. That when I fast, one of the rewards is I draw more closely to God. The second is clarity, that I hear more clearly from God. And the third would be courage. I move more courageously with God. So, so doesn't this make sense that this is how it worked? The closer I am to God, the more clearly I can hear from God. And the more clearly I hear him, the more courageous, I, courageously I walk with him, right? It, they, they all... They all go together. And I think uniquely in a Western culture, fasting, I bet, is a linchpin to closeness. Why? Because we are very self-decadent people. And so if we're gonna give up anything for a set period of time or change our pattern for any set period of time, it makes a lot of sense to me that fasting can be a key to those things. Here are some other results that I've experienced. Fasting breaks the spiritual opposition to God's movement in my life. See, you've heard me say this before: that we 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 all have different voices going on in our head. The key to spiritual development and growth and, and is, is to recognize which voices, who they where are they coming from, and which ones are we going to follow. And we can always tell the, the tone of the Father. The tone of the voice will, will tell you who the voice is coming from. Right? In John 10, he says, My sheep know my voice. I mean, I've been following God a long time, and I'll tell you that it takes me effort to recognize which voice. I'm better at it some days than the other days. On the days I'm not, my wife's really good at it. I can't tell you how many times she stopped me in my tracks and said, and says to me my own words. And and what was the tone in which you heard that? Does that sound anything like God to you? And out of my emotional state into my Charlie logical state, I go, no. There's no way that's from God, all right? Well then now, let's get out of our emotional state and walk in what we understand to be the truth, the truth. And uniquely for me, at the beginning of a year, a fast kinda helps me reorient all of my life. Come on up team, fasting breaks my self-focused routine. Would there be anybody else admit that your year and your life is self-focused and, and so a beginning of the year, fast for me breaks that. It breaks it from the like, like from the front end. Fasting increases my dependence on God's strength. F- fasting is not it's not easy, whether it's one day, three days, seven days, ten days, hundred and forty days I, I can't it is not. Easy. Why? Because your body rebels. It does, right? Headaches. If you you don't believe you're addicted to sugar or caffeine, stop it for a day. Your head says, What are you doing? (laughs) What are you thinking? You got to get to that, whatever. For me, it's sweet tea. For you, it might be coffee. You get weak. There, There is a There's a nauseous, uh, it's uh, a nauseousness to not eating. And do, I'll just speak for myself. I am not malnourished, okay? I am not malnourished. The dude right here could skip a meal or skip a day's meals and it won't impact me very much. But you wouldn't believe it based on how I feel. How many times have you said, I'm starving. If I don't get something to eat, I'm gonna die. changes then, you, when you work through not allowing your body to tell your spirit what to do it's amazing what your spirit can do with Christ fasting increases my dependence on God because I'll tell you what even in this pulpit I've preached I've preached more I think impactful messages in the months of January and February than maybe any other month And it's the times that I feel the weakest, the most hungry, because when we are weak, he is strong. And so fasting at the beginning of the year reorients my year around his purposes and not mine. I'm a list guy. I like making lists. I like seeing what I'm going to either read or accomplish or where we're going to take the church or whatever. And fasting goes, whoa, slows all that stuff down. I like lists, you like lists, make as many lists as you want. These are good lists for you to think through. But let's subject them to God. Fasting aligns and subjects that to God. So our fasting window begins today. I say window because, um, hey, 21 days might not be, may not do your thing this this time. One day fasts. Um, three-day fast, seven-day fast, 10-day fast, 21-day fast. What, what are you going to fast? Um, I'm, I have just learned through the years, I, I'm not gonna read the ingredients on cans. I'm not gonna go onto the internet and find the Daniel fast menu. This is just me, okay? I keep it real simple for me and Gina. Um, we don't eat any meat and I'm a carnivore, Okay. Um, Fruits, vegetables, nuts, water, 100% fruit juice. That's the way we roll, okay? But when Annie started doing this with us when she was eight, um, you know, when you have girls, I don't know about boys because I've only raised a girl. You want them to eat at at all times. (laughs) You just pack on as much food, baby, as we can get you to eat. She was rolled, I can say this because she's not sitting in the front row. When she was a baby, she was all rolls and after that, then there was no rolls left. So she had a whole different, we created a whole different way in which stuff that she put aside, right? So the way I would say this is if it matters to you, it matters to God. Me fasting kale is not a fast. All right. Brussels sprouts have never seen the inside of my house. Okay? So, so it, it has to be something. It has to be something that, that will stir your soul. Listen, if it won't stir your soul, it's not gonna stir anybody else's soul. I, I don't know if I've ever completed a fast that I haven't actually written down what I was gonna do and how long I was gonna do. Because I'm just telling you, you get into this thing, let's say you choose a 21-day Daniel fast. You know, by day two, you don't want another salad. There isn't anywhere that serves the vegetables that you, I'm just telling you that you'll find a way to jump off. And is that a big deal? Does that matter? Let me tell you who it matters to. It matters to you. Because then you're gonna have to fight that voice inside of your head. Well, you, you know, you didn't do it. and You didn't measure up. Boy, you think God's gonna listen. All that's garbage. But I try to eliminate hearing that garbage by following through what I write down on what to do. Um, these lead up journals i 've learned to write my prayers i 'm um, not telling you that you have to find a pattern that, that 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 you know kind of works with your with your you know your own spirit, but I find sometimes when I get to pray um, there's a lot of times i 'm all over the map and that 's not a bad thing, but i'm telling you when i 've gone back through my last year my other journals and i 've seen what I've prayed, it 's mattered to me so that 's why I, you know you know you, when you buy a journal for ten bucks, we're paying money too. These things cost much more than ten bucks. I'm just trying to help you with that. There's fasting books out there. I give away fasting books every year. Those are free. There was only I don't know how many's left after first service. We try to be equitable and make sure that you get you sleepy heads get um, you know get your access to them too. But it's written by a pastor that I know named Jensen Franklin. I, it's it's been the best resource I've ever seen around that. It's a really really creative title. It says fasting. Um, so, so those are out there and then what I ended up doing this past year was when I read through the Bible in 180 days it, it changed your pastor on how I interact with the word now I like reading the Bible and I read I gotta study right I'm reading but then when I read devotionally I get stuck sometimes what I do so you know you gravitate to the if I want to read the Bible through one year and they get a New Testament passage and an Old Testament passage Psalm Proverb. what I found is I'm just jumping back between stories and it doesn't for me for me after I've done that a few times it doesn't connect with me uh, I get, you know you version on my, on, my, on my phone I like listening to the verse of the day who was here Christmas Eve Christmas Eve you're here you're here Christmas Eve you know when I said grace saves and um, truth frees I, I hope you remember but because it wasn't all that long ago um, I, that was Craig Rochelle that morning. That morning, verse of the day, he starts saying, grace saves. I went, wow, he says that a whole lot better than I said it in my message. So I changed my Christmas Eve message and say, because Craig said it better than I said it. I, I like that stuff, but here's what doing it in 180 days did. I had to spend 20, 25 minutes in the word, not distracted. And I stayed within the context of a story uh, or a narrative. And so when I was doing the math, that's when I came up with NT40 and OT140. And then you put them together, it's 180. You spend 180 days in the Word, it's gonna change you. you You can't read, you can't be on this plan like on your commute. You have to set that time. So we have an app that we haven't finished yet. So we just produce these cards. It gives the schedule. You can put your end, your start date and your end date on here. And I'd encourage you, you don't want to skip many days because it's tough to, by experience, it's tough to catch up when you're eight chapters, seven, eight chapters a day. But these are out there um, as well. All right. Um, so let me land this plane. Every year our fast and our directional word from the God directional word from God has a double ring. the first ring is for you personally the fast is for you personally where where do you need God to move in your life and if you've never tried the discipline of fasting in your relationship with God i'm encourage you to try it one day three days five try it the second ring comes around the word lead and lead up. Our world needs us to lead. Your workplace needs to lead. Your family needs to lead. lead. Our church needs to lead. And for our church to lead, who's our church? We all are, right? We all are. And so I don't know where God's taking us as a body, but he continues to take us in new places for bigger things. Just like I said, I'm a different pastor 15 years later. Our church is a different pastor or a different place 15 years later. Where is he taking us this year? Well, folks, he's got to take all of us for for it to matter. And so I'm asking you to fast into that. Lord, show me. Where do I need to lead myself? Better, differently. How do I need to engage you differently? Change me. Change me. So I'm asking you to take the journey with me this year. And and I don't throw this out there because I just want everybody to stand up. I want, I want you to, I want you to really think, do you want this? Do you want this for yourself this year? Do you want this for our church that we would lead in a more influential capacity where God's planted us? And if that if you want that for yourself and our church, I just want I want you to stand. If you want that for yourself and for this church, Folks, this, this is a game changer when we submit ourselves to God in this manner. It is a game changer. And so in our response, as normal, we have communion on our left and on our right. Um, but I also want, if there are there, the, these other things in your life, these things that you need, you need God to speak into and break through. This, I tell you, this is a place where we lend faith and borrow faith and link faith. This is a place we lend faith, we borrow faith, and we link faith. And so I wanna invite you to come and stand or kneel at an altar if there's some place that you need God to move in your life to allow someone else to see that vulnerability and stand with you and pray with you. This might be completely out of your comfort zone and completely out of your tradition. But I'm telling you, it's simply I have felt that movement matters and when you move it is your invitation you're you're inviting even the body to pray with you and I want to encourage you to come and do that Where something specific in your life you need God to move in. So Father in this moment that we have Lord we've worshiped um, in singing and the raising of our hands and applause Lord we've we've made these joyful sounds we've received your word We've received your word, and now, Father, we want to interact with your spirit in this manner. And I pray courage for the people in the room, Lord, to step forward and to link in some faith with others in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com.